and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. This podcast was formerly known as the Great British Drafting Show. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I am your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he will be every week, is Vincent Richardson. Hello. How are you? Hey, Vincent. You know, glad to have you here, man, and excited to do what we're going to do with this um, with this podcast. Just to let the folks know out there who's listening to the podcast, this was an idea that we had to continue on, you know, with the Great British uh, Drafting Show. We want to take that forward um, and do something that's specific to the Carolina Panthers. We want to give everybody an overview of the draft prospects um, of the 2021 NFL Draft. But we want to make sure that we inform people about who these prospects are and how they fit the culture of this Matt Rule, Scott Fitterer, and David Tepper Carolina Panthers team. Um, we are at a point in the franchise where we are building a new brand, um, a new brand with players that are specific to the Matt Rule um, type or prototype. And so it's important to understand what Matt Rule likes, what Scott Fitterer likes, and how that's gonna play into our future and building that winning, sustainable winning culture for the Carolina Panthers. So the first thing that we want to do in talking about building that culture is talk about a key piece in building that culture, and that being Scott Fitterer, the new GM hire. Yeah. Uh, Vincent, what do you think about Scott Fitterer? Um, I think you know, obviously he entered the process like the 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 the, the hiring process. He was a name that came up quite late in that, um, and so the, you know, it's honestly it's really difficult to have a strong opinion on a GM hire unless it's sort of outrageously bad or outrageously good. I mean, we don't know a huge amount about his views. We know what the Seahawks pers- like Seahawks organization did. We know some of the things he said about the things that they've done. And so we can sort of, you know, they clearly, the Seahawks really like trading back. He said in his introductory press conference that, that trading back is probably going to be part of what they do in Carolina. Maybe not this year, but as, a, as an overall philosophy. You know, we know that Seattle really likes athletic measurables and metrics. And they kind of, they took quite a, a, a high, uh, you know, uh, they took lots of chances on players and hoped that some of them would pay off. So you look at, you know, DK Metcalf in the second round a couple of years ago, he's obviously the one that's worked out, but they took lots of shots and some of them have worked and some of them haven't. Um, the other thing that he's really stressed is sort of this aggressive approach. Um, you know, we've heard about the Panthers interest in Matt Stafford and how they didn't quite get that over the line, but they were kind of, he, he, the whole being in on every deal type approach does really seem to be a legitimate thing, not just sort of talk. So, I mean, it's always one of those things. It, it's it's really easy to talk the good talk when you sort of start as a GM, like what you do when you actually have to make decisions, and 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 the the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Like, you know, he has to now back this up. Um, but you know, there are certainly worse highs they could have made. I think he seems like somebody who, who you know, he, the Seahawks haven't always been the best at actually drafting players, but their actual approach from a methodology. You know, the process, as it were, has been good. They you know they they do a lot of the right things from sort of a a decision-making point of view up to selecting players. So if you combine that with maybe a bit more of a consistently effective draft strategy, then, you know, I think he's about as good a hire as I think you could, you could sensibly expect based on the evidence we have. Uh, I tend to agree with you. When I looked at the Scott Fitter hiring, 
um, well, like you said, he was a late name um, who ended the process. There were guys who were there from the very beginning in terms of being rumored to be linked to, to Matt Rule, uh, specifically Adam Peters, who I thought would be the front runner. Um, Adam Peters, not to go too deep into him, you know, he had his his run with the Denver Broncos. You know, that's where he got his start at um, in terms of being a notable scout. And then he transitioned to the San Francisco 49ers. And so I was kind of locked in on that guy. But like you say, you know, you can't know who these guys would be. So it doesn't really um, do you any good to have any favorites in terms of candidates. When I learned of the Scott Fitterer interview, I started researching him and started, you know, looking at his his history with the Seattle Seahawks organization. He's more on the college side. So, you know, he's very respected in terms of being a college scout. A lot of the scouts um, look toward him, you know, from what I learned, you know, in, in terms of learning what to look for with certain players. And, you know, and as we saw, Seattle has built a perennial winning organization or winning team in over the last decade. And I would like to think that he had a play in that, but he hasn't been VGM no. um, before. And so I know that his ability to mesh well with uh, Pete Carroll and Seattle was something that looked very attractive to um, the Panthers brass and wanted him to do that with Matt Rule. I think I'm a little interested to see or learn, you know, in the next year or so, who is the guy, you know, actually making the decision. I think it will be collaborative. I think that's why they like him, um, because he has a history of being that way. Um, but I want to know if he has uh, the ability to override Matt Rule on personnel decisions, especially when it comes to the draft, because last year felt very heavy uh, Matt Rule, especially after the first round pick. And, and so seeing how they do this, uh, this year, you know, would be a good indicator of, you know, if if they're truly working as a collaborative team, um, or if Matt Rule has more say, um, or if Scott Fitterer has more more say. But you know, at the end of the day, it may not matter all of that much. But um, but that takes me to another situation that's going to make this year interesting as well. And that, you know, what are we going to do in the draft this year? There's a lot of factors. Um, that can affect how the first Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer draft goes. And one of the biggest factors is the future of the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was acquired last year to be, I won't say the new franchise face because I don't think his contract indicates that, but at least a transitional type um, starter quarterback, you know, who could be a bridge, you know, into the next quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. I think when when Teddy Bridgewater was signed, you know, aside from the, dr the, the drama, you know, of losing Cam Newton and transitioning to Teddy, I think when you look at the raw numbers of his deal, I think you can say, okay, you know, it's a three-year deal, average $21 million a year. So it's, I think it's 15th or 16th in terms of highest I think, I think it's, I think it's even lower than that. I mean, I, yep. I, 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 I think the, the, the whole QB thing I think is, is kind of, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole collaborative bit. I think that's really where this is going to come in it is not just about Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer, but, but how much of a say David Tepper has. And I, you know, Scott Fitterer said he, you know, he had one of his jobs is he has to be the guy to say no. And 
depending on how desperate Tepper is for a new quarterback, that's kind of going to be his first big test. You know, I think we maybe sort of saw an indication with the 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 Matt Stafford deal that he's yes. not. You know, Bridgewater's contract is to be a, a bridge. I mean, that, that, that you know, if he plays well, obviously it then comes into something different. But but he was not signed to be the future. Definitely day one, right. and I I think how how aggressive and how long-term the Panthers are looking at quarterback in, in 2021 is really going to be te- Fitzgerald's first test. Because if yeah. they're making short-term decisions to appease Tepper, that, that's, that's not a road that's going to end well. And I think, well, I think Matt Rule clearly felt some frustration with the way Teddy Bridgewater played late in the season. I, I don't get the feeling that he's just desperately pounding the table for a new QB every, you know, every day, every day. Uh, I think that, that sort of thing seems to be coming more from Tepper than from Rule. And so I think it'll be whether Fitter is able to say no to Tepper as much as he is to say no to, to Rule personally. You know, and, and it's funny you say that because I've thought a lot about, you know, the way the messaging around the quarterback position has gone since the end of the season. And I know Dave Tepper well, and Matt Rule, they both had criticism of the QB position in their own way, in their own words. But I do think Matt Rule is somewhat of a company guy as a coach. And I believe he knows that Matt Rule, yeah, I'm sorry, that that Dave Tepper, I'm sorry. He Matt Rule knows that Dave Tepper is is somewhat unsatisfied with the QB position right now. And so I think he knows as a message, he has to send, you know, hey, look, we we definitely want to upgrade the quarterback position. And it's caused a little, I won't say chaos, because it is what it is. Teddy didn't perform well enough to secure himself. You know, he said Teddy has to, he has to have a great offseason uh, in order to, you know, get back into that position. But as we saw with the Matt Stafford interest, you know, they are definitely serious about finding a new quarterback. I think we're going to hear um, the Panthers mentioned um, in a few more trade scenarios before the season actually starts. Um, but, you know, the reason I'm bringing that up is because this show is focused on the draft. Yeah. And if we are in more trade scenarios where we potentially give up first round draft equity or future year draft equity, especially when you think about the deal that we initially heard ourselves being involved with, um, the Deshaun Watson deal. That's a lot of draft equity that we could potentially give up and that can have an effect on how Scott Fitterer and Matt Rule are able to establish themselves in terms of building their own culture through the draft. And so that said, it's going to be interesting how this all plays out and how that impacts their ability to, to, to build through the draft. Um, But no, I think, I think that's a good, I think it's a good point. Cause I think the, the, it seems fairly clear the Panthers will do something at quarterback this offseason, e- even if that's just like a mid-round pick or something like that. They're not going to just roll the same group forward to 2021. The right. question is how, how, how much they invest in doing that. You know, I think this is a point that, that, that needs to be made and is a point that you know, will probably be kept being made throughout the offseason. This team is not a quarterback away. Like The reason why the Rams could give up what they did for Matt Stafford is because getting a better quarterback is probably their, their biggest issue between them and a Super Bowl contention. Like, you know, that, that is what's holding them back. 
the Panthers aren't. You know, you've got an offensive line that is almost entirely hitting free agency. You've got a really young defense that is still somewhat patchwork and is still developing. You know, this is, you know, I mean, Dave Gesselman always said that you know you're never one player away. But even even ignoring the fact that sometimes teams are a player away, that the Panthers are not one of those teams. You know, the Colts and the Rams and others are much, and the Dolphins potentially are are much closer to being that team. And so. Um, the Panthers potentially are going to be forced to to choose between building the team around Teddy in the short term, or at least building the team without investing massively in a new quarterback in the short term, or building the team just by just going you know aggressively going after a new quarterback and hoping the bit to build the team later kind of thing. Um, and I think what they do in that regard that will be quite a big decision road for for this whole new regime. Yeah, and 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 what you said is you know last there's is the biggest thing you know for me. I think it would be outstanding, you know, for the excitement of the fan base, um, you know, to go out and get a superstar quarterback, you know, a guy with a, a great arm and, and you know, that playoff script and do all the things that, that Carolina Panthers fans have become accustomed to seeing, you know, through the years of Cam Newton. Um, it would be great if they go out and find Deshaun Watson or some other person that we haven't even talked about yet, you know, to be in that role um, through a trade. But I think what you would have to give up to get that guy um, just makes you stay, you know, mediocre in terms of, you know, being able to win. You'll be a French playoff team, you know, but you won't have the infrastructure built, you know, to be a serious contender, like you mentioned with the Rams. You know, they had the top defense in the league. So they knew that they were one player away. And if you have a top 10 defense built, um, you have an offensive line set, um, I th- and, and the only thing that you have a problem doing is scoring. Yeah. Then I think those are the type of teams that are quarterback away. Our Carolina Panthers are not that team, as you mentioned. Even though we lost all eight of our opportunities to to win a game, you know, where we were were within one score. Um, some of those opportunities were there because we actually played well, and you know the defense didn't hold up. Um, there were opportunities where the defense did play well and give us opportunity, but at the end of the day, you know, the the loss was a collective loss in a lot of cases. And unfortunately for Teddy Bridgewater, um, he's not the type of quarterback, you know, that can just will a team to a victory, you know, in those situations every every time. And and that's been the wrap. You know, whether it's fair or not, you know, that's to be debated. But it will have a bearing, you know, if something happens before the season, it will have a bearing on what the 2021 draft would look like and potentially yeah. 2022 and 2023. But to switch away from that, you know, let's get back to what we're here to do today. And that's to talk about the prospects. And so every week we'll take a look at a different position group um, in the NFL draft. We'll talk about who the Panthers currently have on the roster how big of a need that position is and who is available and who might suit the Panthers in particular uh, from that position group. So this week, we're going to talk about a position group that I love and that the Carolina Panthers have had a great history of drafting. Um, and, And it's a position where we currently don't have a big need but we do have some transition and there in that there may be an opportunity to get better as there is every year. And that position is the edge 
position or the edge rusher position. Yeah. Um, Vincent, you know, what can you tell me about the edge position in the 2021 draft? Well, I think if we start looking at it in terms of like where the Panthers currently are, um, I think it seems fairly clear, given what happened last year, that, that um, Brian Burns and Yuta Grosmotos are, are going to be the starters in 2021, you know, barring injury. Um, I think you know Brian Burns has clearly emerged as like one of the best young edge rushers in the league. Grosmotos showed some nice flashes, still has some growth to to to, to you know to to make the most of. But but you know particularly as a, as a run defender, he showed real progress last last year. And, and right. you know, he's still a really young guy, still growing with his body. Like the Panthers, at least for the short term, should absolutely view those guys as their their their, their long term um, edge rushing starters. The question is really more behind that. Um, while most of the group is back, so the likes of Marcus Haynes, uh, Austin Lark, and Christian Miller, who spent last year are opting out due to COVID, they will all return. You know, as far as we know so far. Um, so really, the, the the two main decisions they have to make uh, on Stephen Weatherly and FA Abada. Um, Weatherly is currently under contract for next year. Um, the question is whether he comes back. The Panthers can save, I think, something like six million um, by releasing him. I can't remember exactly what number it is, but it's it's enough that it's not insignificant. Um, right. And while he entered last year as a starter, even you know, and, and ultimately ends up getting injured and missing most of the season, he wasn't super impressive as a starter. Like he was fine, but he wasn't necessarily fine enough. You know, he isn't going to start over Gris Matos probably. Um, yeah. And then you run into the issue that. You know, he's being paid quite a lot of money um, and is probably at best going to be like a rotation piece. Um, and for a team that is fairly close to, you know, cap-wise has some options, but but does not have loads of options. Um, right. Him being released for cap reasons is at least should be part of the conversation. With FA, you kind of have the, the inverse. I think he's a restricted free agent rather than unrestricted free agent. But, you know, the Panthers do have a decision whether to bring him back. I mean, personally... If you look at the statistics, he was their second most effective pass rusher after Brian Burns <laughs> last year. Um, right. He gives you versatility. He can play a bit of D-tackle. He can play a bit of D-end. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think he probably is a better D-end than he is a D-tackle, although last year, because of the shortage of D-tackles on the roster, he had to play more there. But I, you know, I think he's someone they should prioritize bringing back. But, but you know, if you release Weatherly and re-sign Abada, you probably use a decent chunk of the cap that you get from releasing Weatherly on bringing back Abada. So, you know, that there is some um, potential, you know, w- w- decisions to be made there. I-, I think really for in terms of the need for the Panthers, it's if you don't bring both of those guys back, you probably have to bring in somebody, whether that's a free agent or in the draft. You, you know, you-, you can't have your, you know, only really having four, maybe five edge rushers on the roster. You, ne- you need more bodies in camp, if nothing else. Um, if they do at least bring one of those guys back, the question then becomes... Do they look to try and add a bit more strength or competition at the bottom of the roster? You know, Marcus Haynes is going to the final year of his contract. Christian Miller's come off a year. You know, he, he's only played sort of half a season effectively because he was injured as a rookie. You know, do you add some competition there? So, so really, it it's unlikely the Panthers spend like a first, second, or third round pick on edge rusher. But really, from day three onwards, it you know it, it should be a position that the Panthers at least have some interest in addressing, even though it won't be as a starter. Um, I I agree. You know with what you with what you're saying, and this is where I hope Scott Fitterer brings true value in identifying day three talent. You know, you know potentially landing a a good rotational edge player. You know, in, on day three, you know that would be tremendous uh, for this team. The one complaint I've had about the the past GM is that we didn't have enough depth built through the the draft. 
And it's like we could get a, an elite guy in every draft class, but just having one elite guy from every draft class, you know, wasn't enough because, you know, one injury or a couple of injuries in any given season. And then now, you know, you're down to a guy that you never heard of and, you know, a guy that doesn't have, you know, a significant amount of talent and the drop off, you know, on either side of the ball was always bad. You know, we had, you know, a pretty good defensive line, you know, this year. I don't think we performed up to the expectation I have for them going into the season, but we were really young. Um, you know, we, we're focusing on the edge position this year. So, you know, the, the, the people we paid particular attention to were Brian Burns, um, Eter Grossmatos, you know, as a rookie. And, and he had some rookie struggles, not from his play, but from his ability to stay healthy, you know, during the season. I mean, we, he missed a few games. Um, due to, you know, some nagging injuries. But that's to be expected, you know, whether you're a rookie or a veteran, um, you know. But, you know, there were games where he wasn't there. And so that those games, you know, were when we needed Stephen Weatherly, who, in my opinion, didn't play particularly well. Um, and so I do think it would be prudent to, to, to investigate um, how much you could save by, by offloading his contract. But then again, you know, you have another guy, Effie Abada, who's a fan favorite, who actually played up, you know, to his um, his popularity this year, I think. You know, five and a half sacks, uh, playing the edge and playing the interior. I think that was big for Effie, but it was also big for the team. Um, he yeah. was consistent. Um, and then, but the unfortunate part of that is when you have that kind of production, you're not as cheap to bring back again. And so, yeah, whatever we save with, you know, with offloading Weatherly potentially, you know, may be absorbed in whatever you have to pay FA Abada to stay, you know, in the, yeah. in the Carolina Panthers uniform. It'll be interesting to see what FA gets in free agency because I think he he's kind of got a bit of a raw deal in his first couple of years in Carolina. Um, you know, I think actually his first season, he, you know, obviously he had that first game against the Bengals where he had the, uh, you know, he had the, was it the interception and the sack. And, and, you know, it was really, it was like, you know, this great welcome to Carolina moment. But, yeah. you know, I think I wrote about it at the time as well. And it's like, he, you know, he, he clearly showed a lot of talent in that game, but like he was very, clearly still very raw. But like by the end of that season, there was a game against the Bucks late on. And I went and looked at the tape for that as well. And, you know, he, he made real like improvement technically as a, in his first year in Carolina. You know, he, he, he made huge strides. Um, yeah. And then the next season he was forced to play inside because they moved back to a 3-4. And so right. he kind of like that last year, he was actually decent, but you know, he, he was basically asked to change position, add loads of weight and play in the new defense in his second year in the NFL. And he didn't you know he was fine, but he didn't star in that. I think this year again, he's, you know, he was asked to play more inside. He's got better at it because he's had another year at it, but he, you know, he, I think Phil Snow said at the end of the season, like he is at his best on the edge and he hasn't really had a chance to have a full season just starting on the edge. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of length of deal he gets as well because you know because he only started the NFL quite late he is on the older side like I would be you know he's probably not going to get a four or five year deal just because of his age um, right. but but it'll be interesting to see if Panthers could get him back on sort of a a three year deal or two or three year deal it would be I think he's a just a really solid rotation player um, who probably isn't going to win a starting job anywhere but 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 is a really nice rotation piece to have um, and, and definitely somebody I'd, I'd prioritize bringing back. 
Well, one thing I want to bring up, you know, I'm talking about F.A., you know, because of his versatility at the position, like you say, you know, he went from his, his first year, he flashed and, you know, got excited. But, you know, he was on the team full of veterans. And then last year um, under Ron Rivera, who switched to a 3-4 defensive lineman, he was asked to buck up, go inside, be less of a pass rusher and more of a, you know, run stuffer, um, just a disruptor, you know, what the 3-4 alignment calls for, you know, the fill your gap, you know, responsibilities and let the linebackers flow behind you, that type of deal. And, and, and he didn't look as good in that. Uh, switching back to this year and what I consider, you know, in the, the Phil Snow defense more of a multiple front, yeah. you know, an even front, you know, sometimes, and then, a, you know, an odd front and others. Um, I wonder, you know, how much value a guy like F.A. has um, in that type of a, a alignment or the multiple alignment. And, but not just for F.A., you know, and to, to kind of get back into, you know, these prospects we're about to discuss. Yeah. It makes it difficult to really lock in on a particular type of guy um, unless that guy has the ability, you know, to be, a, you know, both a guy who can, to put his hands in the dirt and 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 rush the passer, um, but also line up on the inside. You know when you go odd, or have the flexibility, you know, from the edge to to stand up and drop back when necessary. Yeah, and I so, think I, I think it depends a little bit. I think you know, um, I think if you hear Phil Snow talk about his philosophy, you know, he clearly believes in being flexible and what his players can do. And I yes. think really, if you're looking at the Panthers' defense right now, you look at the building blocks and you go, okay, we've got Jeremy Chin, we've got Brian Burns, and we've got Derek Brown. Um, you know, guys like like Shaq Thompson can be fairly schematically flexible, so they're they're less of like a a kind of they can be they can move around those three guys. And it's like the questions are: Does Derek Brown play the nose in a three-man front, or does he play the one in a in a in a in a four-three? That's really not that much of a decision, but it, it's more: You know, how do you use Brian Burns? How do you use Jeremy Chin? And how do you add pieces around them? who allow you to be flexible. So I think while the Panthers clearly do value flexibility, and that is something that I think they will continue to look for defensively, I don't think you need 11 guys who are all flexible. You need a core group who are flexible and then players around them who can be specialists. So particularly if we're talking about like rotation guys um, on the defensive line, you know, not every edge guy is going to be this like strong side defensive end who can, or, or basically like edge drop back linebacker type guy. There are yeah. going to be guys who are more conventional, like four, three defensive ends but they're probably going to be guys who come in in particular scenarios. They're not going to play every down that, that if you're playing Brian Burns um, dropping into coverage, they probably go off the field. If Brian Burns is playing as a stand, you know, if they just go to conventional four, three, one guy comes on, you know, like we saw it last year with how they used you know, Marquis Haynes. He was not on the field every time they use him very much as a rotation piece for Brian Burns when, you know, in that drop back type of hybrid role and also yes. just playing alongside him in more of like the, the three, four look. And I'd imagine if Christian Miller comes back, he'll play a similar kind of role. Whereas they might also have guys, you know, like Weatherly, if Weatherly stays, he'll be one of those guys who switches between, you know, four, three defensive end and three tech. And, and so it, it's not everyone is going to be this kind of interpositional hybrid. It's about having enough of those guys that you can then mix in and, and then guys who can mix in in specialized roles. So I think while I wouldn't rule out the Panthers going after kind of a, a, a hybrid edge guy again, Guys who who have a particular kind of stylistic usage are probably the other like the rotation pieces are probably more likely, and also just they're easier to find. Like you know, 
finding 11 guys who can all be hybrids is just really difficult. It is. It is. And, you know, the only defense that I've seen do that consistently um, or defensive coordinator, you know, who has done that consistently is like the, the Patriots. Yeah. The Patriots consistently have about three or four or five guys, you know, who can drop back, rest the passer. There were times over the years where I've seen the, the Patriots have like five or six guys standing up at the line of scrimmage and nobody knowing who's rushing, who's dropping. Uh, sometimes only two rush and, you know, and, and four drop back. And, you know, it's, it's crazy stuff. And I don't, I don't think Phil Snow is that exotic, you know, but he has shown the, you know, the desire to be multiple and be flexible. But like you said, I, I do believe in the need for more traditional, conventional edge guys. And I believe Gross Matos is one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, and, and I'm a big proponent of having, you know, two or three of those guys who are very good on your defense. And I think we can say Gross Matos, if he continues to to track, you know, in, the, in this current direction, he will be a good traditional edge, um, you know, for the Carolina Panthers for the next three years at least. And so we have to find another guy or two that are like that, especially if we get uh, or move on from um, Stephen Weatherly. Yes. And so let's talk about the the top edge rushers in the 2021 draft. You know, who, yes. I mean, I know these guys are guys that we probably won't have a chance at, but again, we don't know anything about Scott Fitterer yes. and Matt Rule. You know, they could shock us, you know, and, and you know, like, let's say if they don't love someone that pick number eight and we don't trade that pick away before the draft, you know, they could go into a trade back scenario. Um, and if they trade back to a, you know, to the middle of the first round or to later in the first round, and one of these guys just happened to be there and is the top prospect there, who's to say that we won't get them? You know, it's unlikely that we get one of the top edges this year. Yeah. Uh, considering you know, how we drafted in the past three years, but, but let's say there's a scenario where there's a top guy there that we love. Um, who are the top edges that the you know that we can look at this year and say, okay, you know, these are guys that if we ended up picking that way, you know, these are the guys you know who are the best at their position and what they'll bring to the Carolina Panthers if they were to be picked. Yeah, so I think there's also a value just in knowing who they are, just because it impacts sort of trade down scenarios and trade up scenarios. Knowing who other play teams might be interested in is always useful. But yeah. I think for me, the top two guys are, are Greg Rousseau and Aziz Ojolari. Um, I I don't think there's any one prospect who's like a surefire top five pick in the way that you've had in the past with like the Bosas and Nas Garrett and, and Josh Allen. You know, I don't think there's that one kind of elite elite pass rusher. Um, mm. I, I think. Rousseau and Ojolari are quite different. Um, Ojolari is probably the most polished edge rusher in the draft. Um, he's more of that kind of 3-4 outside linebacker type guy. I think he can play with his, his hand in the dirt as, as a 4-3 defensive end, but like he, he's actually really quite good in coverage. You know, He's not going to play man-to-man all the time, but he, he can legitimately play good quality coverage. He's fairly technically developed. He isn't a super explosive athlete, but he's a good athlete for the position. He's just a He's a fairly well-rounded guy who probably is not going to have one standout characteristic, but can be a, like a good quality starter for somebody for you know a decade type thing. You know, he, he's a, a solid, if unspectacular guy. Um, I don't think he's really what the Panthers are looking for. He, he you know, in terms of, of 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 
what he would fit in with the other players on the roster. I think, in a way, Rousseau is actually, you know, if they're going to trade down and take a, an edge guy, it's probably going to be Rousseau. And if they're going to take a an edge guy full stop in the first round, it's probably going to be Rousseau. Um, he's only really had one year of college because he played in Miami and then opted out last year. Um, he's athletic, but not in a... He's not Miles Garrett. He's not going to explode off the snap. Like he's probably going to get compared to him because like the physical size and the production in college. But he's he's very long. He's quite quick, quite powerful. Has really long arms. Locates his hands quite well. Um, wh- where the the reason why I don't have him higher is that he 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 lacks kind of like the upper tier like hand usage traits. So like he he gets himself in good position. He keeps his frame free and he he stays alive and plays. Really, like he has so many cleanups acts. It's remarkable. Um, but what he doesn't necessarily have is those like developed moves to generate leverage when his athleticism can't do that. And that's something that can come with time. And like for a guy who's played one season of, of of college football, that's not that surprising. But he is somebody who who is going to have to continue to develop to become the guy he can be. I think the reason why he's probably most suited to the Panthers is because he is someone who who has the size to also kick inside at times. Like he he could play some three tech. He can move around the front. Whereas Ojolari is really just an edge guy and is only going to be an edge guy. Um, yeah. The other guys who are kind of I think are that next tier down for me are, are, are Pay and um, um, Joseph Osai. Um, Osai in particular is really like, he's like the clear number three for me. Um, and he shows some really nice things. Um, I think he's just a little bit raw still. And like, there are too many plays where he, he doesn't quite get it right technically, but, but he's a really good athlete. He, he bends really well. He there's some really nice flashes of really nice hand usage. He's, he's probably the, the most exciting of the players in this class, if that makes sense. Like he's the guy where you can, you can see the flashes where it all comes together and like that guy can be really, really good. Um, he, his, his best plays are probably the best of anyone in the class. Um, but for him, it's just about consistency. Uh, I don't think either Rosse or Pay are probably going to fit the Panthers because they're probably, they're probably both still going to go in the first round or if not early second round. And they're not they're still too developmental. I mean, I, I, the Panthers clearly like a project. They clearly trust their ability to develop players. But I, I think Osai and Pei are, are probably closer to a gross Matos than they are to like a, a Nick Bosa. And I think it's, if, if a position isn't a real need, it, it becomes harder to justify that kind of value, sort of particularly in a trade-down scenario in the late first. So I think for me, those are like the top four guys uh there may be a couple of other guys who are in that conversation as well but we we quincy roach who had a good senior but he's also kind of in that sort of second tier along with pay and osai well no the, the guy that impressed me the most in watching him play live was ojulari there have been games that i saw him where i didn't see him flash much you know but you know the the bulldogs last game of the season i was kind of keying in on ojulari I, I i really wanted to watch Money Rice in in that bowl game, but he didn't play. You know, I was focusing on the linebacker you know, just to see how he moved as a as a inside linebacker prospect. You know, but since he didn't play, I, I decided to focus in on Ojolari and and he's an intriguing prospect because I think he is like you said, he's more of a traditional outside guy. I don't think you could ever line him up on the edge. He strikes me as a former Georgia Bulldog, um, Floyd. Um, and, yeah. And, yeah, in terms of his ability to, to be on the edge, to bend. Um, he, had, he showed some decent bend, and, and he was harassing 
I think they were playing um, Cincinnati. And once the Cincinnati left tackle went down, I mean, Ojolari had a had a field day. But I don't know if it was because, you know, the, the backup left tackle wasn't good or he just decided that he was going to dominate. And, and, but he was dominant, you know. And, 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 and so when you see guys show well, especially late in the season like that, they tend to stick in your minds. But, you know, I think he may have um, increased his, his pedigree and his stock um, for the draft. And so he may be out of sight. You know, I, I do like uh, Quiddy Pay. I, I like his his versatility across the defensive line. But as you said, he'll probably be gone too. I do expect one of these top four to slip um, into mm-hmm. the second round. But even if they slip into the second round, um, given our needs on the roster, I just don't know if we're focusing on edge there. But, but I no, think that was a good I think that's the thing is like like I think in like the second round, like someone like um Quitty Pay, for example, like it's it's a bit like Gross Matos last year. I think I keep coming back to this where like I do I wouldn't hate taking him in the second round, but he's not a player I'd be like, you know, the, you know, screw need, like we're just taking this guy because he's so good. Like I I I I don't think either of them are so good that if they're there at the beginning of the second round, you just pass on whatever else is left and just take them. I, I, I think if you need an edge rusher and then they're in the second round, that's a conversation, uh, particularly Osai. Um, but but I, 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 it's hard to justify them, them as second round prospects for the Panthers in particular just because of the limited positional need in terms of starters. Okay. So, so let's talk about every year there's a, there's a few guys you know, who play a position you know, where, you know, a lot of folks have them higher than they should be, uh, you know, the overhyped guys. Who are your overhyped guys, you know, for the edge position this year? Um, I, I, I think I've got a few. I think um, Jason Owe, the Penn State guy, I think he's probably the guy I, I, I struggle to see the, the, the buzz the most. Um, I, you know, as someone who's getting like late, some late first round buzz, uh, I just, I think he's quite a good athlete and I think he does some nice things. I just think there's, I don't see the, I, I don't see what there is on tape that makes people think that guy has any better chance than, than the average like mid round prospect at being like a top tier edge rusher. I, I he's, he's a fairly good athlete. I, I, I think there are some flashes technically, but it's a, he's a fairly unremarkable prospect who is getting quite a lot of hype. Uh, Again, right. I don't think any of these guys that I'm going to mention are guys who I would say there is no way they can be successful because they're all quite athletic guys who who have some technical prowess. I just I think they may be getting a little bit overhyped. Um, <laughs> the 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 other guy is is Jalen Phillips, the Miami guy. You know, he clearly for, like you know went to UCLA as like a top recruit, didn't really do a huge amount there, right. transferred to Miami and had like one quite productive season, and right. he's not bad again he's like a perfectly solid mid-round pick I, I don't think he's a bad prospect but I think the conversation around him as being like a top 40 pick is still based on like the the potential that he had and the potential that he does still have as like a you know he's, he's not you know 25 or anything but he I don't see that he's really made the progress that his potential says he should make by now like there are the talent he has and how good he are how good he is sorry they're not quite the same thing like he, he he hasn't been as good as his talent suggests and it's quite hard to understand given that he's come through two schools now why he'd suddenly really start making it click so i think he's again 
he'd be a perfectly good piece for the Panthers as a solid rotation pick. But if you're talking about as like a, a first round pick, I'm, I'm not sure I see that. Uh, the final is, is Joe Tryon, the Washington guy. I mean, like it's really hard because Washington's defense is not anything like what you'll see at the NFL stand. Like, you know, he, he is probably the one I actually like most of these three and is a guy who I think has maybe could sneak into the back end of day two and I'd be fine with that. And there are some really nice flashes. But again, it's like there's a difference between being a guy who has a chance to be good and show some flashes and being a guy who you take in the first round. And I think that's really for all three of them. They're, they're, they're players who I can see succeeding, but I can't see succeeding with a probability that suggests that they end up in the first round. Like then they're, they're all guys who have fairly significant bust potential um, if you take them in the first round. And I don't think have the upside to necessarily merit that kind of risk. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no one who I, who I just like completely boggles me that they're going to, that they could go sort of high, but, but those three guys are guys who, who I think are probably leaning towards getting overdrafted right now. And, and, and I can agree with that. And, and honestly, for our team, you know, given Matt Rule's um, affiliation with Penn State, I could see how, you know, Owe could be somebody who <laughs> would have a little bit more value for us than maybe somebody else. You know, I, I personally, and this is just kind of going off script here, I look at Matt Rule and I think he's a guy that probably watches a lot of Penn State football, you know, outside of the, the players that he coached, you know, from the, the universities that he's, you know, been at, you know, with Temple and Baylor. Um, I know that he is a, you know, a guy that's loyal to his guys and, and they're loyal to him. But, you know, when you move past, you know, those relationships that he's built as a coach at the college level, I think he looks at a lot of Penn State football. I'm just guessing. Um, and I think that's, based on his uh, his pick of gross mottos last year but it it kind of you know has me wondering you know if he'll be peeking you know at the defensive talent you know that was there at penn state this year because he was a linebacker at penn state you know and i can't imagine you know you being you know playing a position at that level regardless of how good you were you know but you know that being your alma mater you know now you're a coach and you know and I would imagine if you watch anybody on Saturday, it would be your alma mater. And so yeah, those, no, guys, yeah, those guys may have a little bit more stock, you know, with him than they, than they may, you know, the random NFL coach. And, and so there's another guy that I want to mention from Penn State that we haven't talked about. And I think he, you know, he would be defined as, you know, as, as an edge. And that's Shaka Tony. Yeah, I, I actually haven't been able to find that much tape on Tony, so I can't offer that strong an opinion. Um, I, I I saw a little bit of his stuff. I think he, he was at the Senior Bowl, wasn't he? I think um, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I, I, again, he's he's a guy from what I, the little bit I have seen of him. He's like you know he's a perfectly draftable prospect. I I'm not sure um, how much of a fit he would be with the Panthers in terms of need. I, again, he's a guy I need to watch more of, so I can't. I should. I, I you know I'd be be wrong to say I have a particularly strong opinion on him. But no, I I. I do, I do think that there's Matt Rule probably is going to have a little bit of affinity for those guys. I think what you want to see is a process and a surrounding staff that are able to say, actually, no, that's not the right decision. That that, that you know, you have a GM who goes, that's no, that that's that's not what you want. And also, ultimately, Phil Snow doesn't have that Penn State affiliation. So, whereas guys yes. like Bravion and Roy, there is that mutual kind of um, uh, affiliation with just a guy who happened to go to Penn State, who neither of them have actually coached. I think they're hopefully you, you would hope that isn't enough to get them significantly through the process if they don't have the talent. Yeah, I, I just remember there being some, you know, some chatter, you know, I think during the press conferences, I may be wrong, 
you know, where Matt Rule, I think he, I think he referred to a conversation that he had with Shaka Tony, um, you know, yeah, like practice or something. Yeah, and so you know, it, it just made me think. You know, I was once I once I heard that press conference, I was like, oh, you know, mm, he has yeah. this relationship with um, Shaka Tony. I think, I think he tried to recruit them or something. I can't remember. You know, he talked about a few guys that he tried to recruit. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, he had a pretty good time with them coaching them at the senior bowl. So I think Shaka Tony was one of those guys. I can't remember if he played on Matt Rue's team or if he played on, on Miami's, um, team, but I think, you know, they had an opportunity to kind of, you know, have some banter, some friendly banter. And I believe he did mention, um, talking to Shaka Tony. So it's just, you know, to me, it just, I put a mental note there. It's like, okay, yeah, no, you know, if that's a day three guy. Um, you know, then maybe, you know, if nobody else picks him up or he's late day two, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them take a flyer on him. You know, but you no, know, going to you know to the day three prospects, I think based on you know what we've discussed, you know, with the edge position and you know, where the Carolina Panthers currently are, uh, with their edge players, let's let's talk about who are realistic. Uh, prospects for edge um, given where we are you know and I know that you know you you have a couple of guys that you want to talk about and what they do and what their strengths are what their value would be to the Panthers so so like who do you envision being a guy that or guys that we could potentially draft you know on late day two early day three um, in, in 2021 I think there, there, particularly on sort of like day three, there are there are a couple of guys who who I think at least I think would be interesting options. Um, the first is Chauncey Golston, um, the Iowa sort of edge slash D tackle. Again, he's another guy who Matt Rule coached in the Senior Bowl. Um, he mainly played inside of the Senior Bowl, um, but I think that was partly due to the fact that they they didn't have that many natural D tackles um, at the Senior Bowl. Um, he's a really long guy, got really long arms, big hands. He's not super explosive like he's not going to consistently win with speed but he's a really nice technical rusher uh, he locates his hands well he's got you know good arm extension and he has like a a fairly nice combination of moves like he's got a really quite good bull rush particularly you know, like you, you know watching him at the senior bowl bull rushing guards uh, as like a 270 pound d end is 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 fairly impressive but also right. you, you know has really strong arms like you see when he when he works off play action like when he sets his arms to stop the run and then what has like a, a rip move off that initial um, set and it's really really like he was you know f- pulling guys on their front fairly consistently um, right. has has like a nice speed swim uh, sh- to get outside even when he isn't just winning with pure speed um, he could do a little bit better in terms of inside moves there was like some nice flashes but but that could kind of be added to a bit bit more but he, he's a guy who particularly if you're talking about like replacing Weatherly or Abada he would be a really good fit in that mold a guy who can go out play on the edges like a, a really good run defender on early downs and then could either like rush the, and, and particularly can rush the passer off run situations, um, but then can also come inside and and effectively rush against guards using for an inside rusher quite good quickness, but also really good hand usage. Um, he does like the big thing for him is pad level. Like he has to get his pad level lower more consistently, particularly if he's going to play inside. Um, and he is a guy you know, if, if you line him up in in the A gap and the the, the offense chooses to double team him, he is not just going to anchor against. You know, a guard in the center, like that's not who he is. Um, right. And so I think if you're going to, if you view him as a purity tackle, I'm not sure how that would work because he would have to only ever play the three tech and probably only ever play in like non obvious run situations. 
Um, but as a guy who can move around the front and be, just be a really technical rusher, he's, he's a guy who really catches my eye. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, Patrick Johnson from Tulane is a guy who is more of that like three, four outside linebacker hybrid type guy. Like he can rush with his hands in the ground, but also can drop into coverage a little bit, particularly in like underneath zone. And if you were looking more for competition with like Haynes and Miller, he would be, be another option. Um, I think he would probably also go a bit later. So he's more of like a, a six, seven, whereas Golston is probably more of like a, a, a four, five, six round yeah. kind of guy. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking for, for competition at the back end, or maybe there's a priority, priority UDFA, I think Patrick Johnson is, is, a, is a guy who has enough speed to win around the outside, has surprising power for like a smaller guy, and is again, fair, like has at least more um, technique to his game than just speed. Like he can win inside, he can win with hand usage, um, and would be a, an interesting rotational guy. Uh, I think the, the final guy I would mention, I think this is quite unlikely, but you know, the Panthers coaching staff have clearly shown a, uh, an affinity for like more developmental guys. Like they clearly, they clearly back their ability to develop like talent and um, uh, uh, Rump from, uh, from Duke um, okay. is a guy who, again, a bit like Burns is a little bit undersized. Like he needs to add some weight um, and was like Duke used him all over the place. Like he plays an edge. He, they kind of line him up as almost like a, a, a rush linebacker over the guard or something. Um, he, he moved around a lot, but has a lot of athletic talent. Like he, he really flashes a lot on tape, but there's probably a fair amount of work to do there. So right. whereas guys like Goldston and Johnson are probably never going to be like high level starters, like they are, they are rotation pieces or borderline starters. Like they are, that's, that's what they're going to be. Rumpf is a guy who maybe doesn't have the immediate like impact day one, but if you're looking for like a probably late third, more likely fourth round, developmental edge guy who could could maybe be like a legitimate starter um down the road um or at least a starting caliber player who you you know could have as a like a key rotation piece um he's he's more of that kind of option but obviously there's a he's probably a much higher reward but also a higher risk and it's probably going to go higher as well if only because he he is that bit less kind of clear in his delineated role he is not a guy who's going to come in week one and be this guy he's a guy who maybe rotates in a little bit and plays here and there, but probably doesn't impact that much as a rookie. And I, I totally get that. You know, from the the first two the first two players you mentioned, Goldston and Patrick Johnson. But first of all, I, I watched Goldston a lot during the during the senior bowl. And like you said, he lined up inside. Um, I did I did admire his ability to push the pocket. You know, he he got vertical, he got vertical quick and he was pushing back. You know, when I was watching the the right guard consistently, you know, back to the quarterback, you know, he didn't get home, you know, you know, and get the sack, you know, a lot, you know, but he was he was definitely disruptive. And you know what I liked most about him, though, you know, was that when you know, when the play got away from him, when they ran away from him, I saw him hustle. Yeah, I saw him hustle. You know, from being inside the muck of the line of scrimmage, you know, and and break out of that and 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 go and make a tackle on the sideline, you know, on the opposite sideline from where he lined up. And, you know, it was that play that stuck out to me to where I was like, okay, that's the kind of guy that I want, you know, for the Panthers, you know, a guy who doesn't give up, you know, from what I could tell from Matt Rule, you know, those are the type of players that he wants on this defense. Um, you know, the young guys that that were drafted in 2020, um, they had their struggles at times, but I would say that all of them had that same tenacious mentality that we don't give up on plays, you know, we chase down runs and, 
you know, and we're, you know, we're trying to get the ball out, you know, but they, I didn't see them give up on plays or, or walk, you know, you know, when the play got away from them, they just kind of like just start walking and, and watching. They always chase down uh, the ball carrier, you know, from, from the plays I've seen. So Ghoston, in that, in that instance where I saw him, you know, chase down the runner, you know, to the other sideline, um, a, a play that he definitely could have given up on in the exhibition game. Um, and it was late in the game too. And mm-hmm. that's when I was like, okay, I, I would like that guy if I could get him late, you know, and then, you know, you mentioned um, Ghoston. You know, I know I saw Ghoston, and Ghoston is a guy, you know, who, you know, who embodies, you know, what I think they would like. And, you know, and if we weren't to retain Weatherly or Obata, I could see him being the guy who can play outside and inside and, and be effective in both positions, especially in a, on a rotational basis. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've covered, you know, who the top prospects are. You know, we mentioned Rousseau and Ojulari. Um, Quiddy Pay and Osai, you know, and then we talked about who may be the, you know, a little overhyped and Owe, Phillips, and Tryon, and then, you know, and and then last talked about who we may actually be in position to draft, you know, in 2021 and, and Goldstein and Patrick Johnson and, and Roth from Duke. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we will have, you know, an opportunity to improve that position, if not um, through the draft, you know, potentially and free agency or, yeah. you know, or they could be undrafted free agents available, you know, this year. I think we did a pretty good job of that in 2020. Yeah. Um, but you know, this has been a good discussion around, you know, the edge position. And I'm excited, you know, for all the other positions that we will cover. Um, I'm a big defensive guy. And so I like learning about, you know, who's out there in the draft, you know, because we always hear about the big names. You no, know, everybody's probably heard about Rousseau and, you know, most people have heard about Ojolari. No, but a lot of the guys that we talked about today, you know, many people haven't heard of. And so I hope, you know, that they've, um, and they, if you're out there listening, that, you know, that you've been able to glean something from this conversation. I know I've learned a little bit. Um, I pay a little bit more attention to college, you know, than I let on. You know, we always focused on what's going on during the season, um, you know, out there in, in, in Panthers Twitter world and, you know, Facebook or Instagram, wherever you get your information from. Um, but, you know, I, I do like watching college guys, you know, I don't have the time to watch them all, you know, but I you know this is the time of year where I study a lot um, because I'm trying to learn, you know, who's out there. And so, you know, scouting the culture was something that was conceived, you know, was something that was already there, but it was something that was conceived to carry on, um, you know, being, you know, the, the, the ride network being able to to convey, you know, to the to the fans, you know, who are the good prospects out there, and you know, who we could potentially um, land on the, you know, with the Panthers roster and improve our team. So, um, you know, week one, this episode has has been all about the edge position. Um, you know, we will uh, talk about a different position group um, for the next episode. Um, if you've enjoyed this, you know, please um, like, subscribe. Um, you know, give us your review. You know, we want to get better. You know, we want to learn what we can do um, to, to, to be able to satisfy what you're looking for, you know, through this format. Um, so, you know, please um, go out there, subscribe, like, review. And, um, and, and, and if you're looking for where to find us on social media, um, I'm at Panthers Culture on Twitter. Um, 
Destin, can you can you share your handle so they yeah, can Yeah, I'm at the Richardson four four four. And so you know that's where we are, guys and 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 ladies. You know, if you want to uh, engage, you know, that's where we are. You know, hopefully you've enjoyed, you know, this episode. It, it was a, a pleasure to do this. And again, looking forward to, to doing more in the future. Now, there's going to be some more exciting uh, position groups to, to talk about, especially as it relates to the Panthers. You know, but we're going to eventually get there. We're going to get through them all. And, and, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to That's it. Thank you, where you from?